Hammer toes. Yeah, they suck. You know what else sucks? What? Decon sucks. Oh. <laughs> That's true. You know, you know what doesn't suck? First line technologies, hybrid decon, they are revolutionizing the decon process with their bar method, which is blot, apply, and remove using wet and dry decons. Best part about the whole thing, because I'm lazy AF, no more rigging, mm. no more hoses, finding a large enough area to set it all up. The system is compact, like so compact, you could take it, just toss it to the back of a chief's truck. So do your own recon at makedeconsuckless.com or visit them at firstlinetech.com. Firstline technology is making decon suck a little less. Ah, we're back. Episode so I, 409. I claim that they suck, but what the hell is a hammer toe? A hammer toe? It's like a, like a, like a, a toe that's like all jammed up. They call them hammer toes. You like kind of, you can hammer down, whatever. It's a, that sucks. It's a, it does suck. <laughs> no, we're not going back into the commercial. No. Oh, that was funny. Okay. <laughs> so how is everybody doing out there today? We are talking a little bit about um, some we're, uh, a little bit of a deeper dive into PPE selection. We'll kind of chat about that a little. But first, as always, yes. what's new? Where will oh. we be? You know what? We are going. Actually, I am flying out. Oh, dark 30 tomorrow morning to go to the continuing challenge. Yes, you are. First time ever there. We were we were honored. Um four or five years ago with the Technology Award, which is a big deal. And uh, we're finally going. We're going to be hanging out with our good friend, Rob Rizende, and our people from IEC, Industrial Emergency Council, uh, Bruce and gang, and um, delivering some more batteries out there. It's going to be uh, exciting. So good stuff. It is. It is. And one day on air, we can talk about what happened last Thursday. But this is neither the day for it. Truth. Um, conferences that are coming. We're definitely going to Oklahoma State Depart um, Oklahoma State, Connecticut Department Instructors Association, New England, Cold Zone. I have papers in for Florida, Indiana. I'm negotiating with Wammer, um, Ontario, Michigan, South Carolina, and Cold Zone. So a lot of lot of moving parts. There are a lot of conferences out. There is absolutely it no reason like why it. it should be a requirement to attend at least one conference to to like maintain a, a technician certification. Like just you have to go to at least one conference at some point every year, whether it's Baltimore, whether it's regional, whether it's local, whether it's your state, something because there's so much good information uh, to to obtain. I completely agree. So. That's about all I got for right now. Uh, I'm kind of curious about the tech, the 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 topic we have uh, yeah, going from I, a level A to a level B. Yeah. So actually, this is a, a twofold thing, right? We we did the survey. Survey went out. Results came back in, and one of the overwhelming uh, things to that people want to hear and talk about and learn more about is PPE. So you know, like so many other things in Hazmat. You know, we understand the basics, right? We're taught the the generalization. Like, here's the here's the rules. If this, then this, and and you know, chemical physical properties, and we make uh, guesstimates and educated guesses and things like that. And then you get to the portion of hazmat that really separates, like, the people who know what they're doing 
uh, from the people who just kind of fell asleep through class, right? That that 90% of the time, everything is fine. And then 10% of the time, things are outside of the box. Things don't quite make sense. Or you have to figure out solutions to problems that are not common. And when you understand that next level of information, when you dive that little bit deeper, you become proficient in that extra 10%, which really, in my opinion, is what separates a good hazmat technician from a phenomenal hazmat technician. Know that the times that you come back from the run and people are like, holy crap, I'm so glad that you were here today because I wouldn't have figured that out. Right. And all too often people leave class and they're like, well, the instructor told me what to wear. Right. Oh, if chlorine, then level A. Right. And if there's, this, then there's, that. Right. So the PPE lands within this topic. We're going to do kind of a deeper dive. We are going to go through some basic stuff because I think it's important to reestablish the basics. And I learned some stuff while doing research for this show, uh, which is always exciting when, you know, you're, you come across information. You're like, oh, shit, I didn't realize that that was actually listed and verbalized. Uh, because for a long time, I had, I didn't think it was verbalized. And I had been saying that it wasn't verbalized. So we'll get into that when we when we cross that bridge. But today is PPE selection in hazmat response. So uh, obviously, why do we do PPE selection, Bob? Because it keeps us out of the coffin. Yeah, because it keeps it keeps us absolutely one hundred percent safe. All right. So we we want to make sure, and the the two biggest the two biggest things that that we have for us is going to be uh, the the level A and the level B. This is where things can sometimes get tricky, and there's actually a bunch of resources to go to. So we're going to talk. Uh, we're going to dive into level A and level B, and then we're going to go into a question that was phoned to me earlier in the week. Uh, that was a very interesting. It was a very interesting discussion i think everybody should kind of have it because you might come across this situation mm. so without further ado bob let's discuss level of uh level a ppe in detail okay so level a is supposed to be selected when the greatest level of skin respiratory or and or eye protection is required which means it sounds like just about everything, right? From that sentence I just said, it says like, whoa, I can make everything sound like that. But what it really is is kind of like a whole ensemble, which is a really important word there because it's a whole bunch of things that are together, right? Like what? And well, I, I like that you said ensemble, right? Because we, we we teach this concept of ensemble and an ensemble is a whole bunch of different stuff that comes together to create like a larger, you know, greater than 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 parts, right? So the following constitutes level A equipment. It may be used as appropriate, all right? A positive pressure, full face piece, a uh, full face piece, self-containing breathing apparatus, or positive pressure supplied air with an escape SCBVA provided by the National Institute for Occupational Health and Safety Administration. So a NIOSH-approved fully um, full-face mask respirator. Right. So that's the respiratory component, and respiratory. now we got the now we got the peep, the, the garment, uh, which is totally encapsulating, means no exposed skin, no taping. Right. No taping. Yeah, no, uh, right. For level A, no taping. Right. As per OSHA and, to and EPA, totally encapsulated chemical protective a suit called a TECP suit means a full body garment which is constructed of protective clothing materials, covers the wearer's torso, head, arms, legs, and respirator, and may cover the wearer's hands and feet 
with tightly attached gloves and boots, completely enclosing the wearer and the resp res respirator by itself or in combination with the wearer's gloves and boots in standard 1926-65 Appendix A, which means that the suit has to be together, but it, uh, the way I read this is that the gloves have to be attached, which means that uh, as some of you guys might have seen this is like a connection coupling kind of thing. Yeah, the bayonet mounts. Is that what they call them? I believe so. Bayonet mounts. It could be wrong. I'm often wrong. But okay. So that's that's our OSHA. That's our EPA. That's our law. All right. As we start to dive into NFPA a little, uh, it really changes only slightly. But I'm going to tell you that what you read is where I learned something. I, for whatever reason, was under the impression that fully encapsulated did not necessarily mean that your SCBA had to be encapsulated. But it very clearly in the law and in the standard for NFPA says that the where that the the ensemble, uh, the type of ensemble that provides vapor or gas type protection or liquid type protection. There's an interesting pickup that I grabbed on, on the way of reading this or both and completely covers the wearer and the wearer's respiratory equipment. So when we're having conversations about 1994 suits and we say that they are vapor tight. We are correct. They are vapor type, but they are absolutely not encapsulated and cannot be treated as a level A type right. ensemble. Even by definition, the, they are by not a level definition, A. definition, yes, 100%. So, you know, we have to be very careful. These are the little tidbits, the little parts and pieces. Now, the part that will be a little bit interesting later on uh, when we start talking about different ways that we can think of level A outside the box is that according to NFPA, these also have a liquid type protection. So we can, in instances where we're looking for liquid protection in some crazy sprinkler scenario of hydrofluoric acid all over the place, level A is perfectly appropriate because we we are not just looking for vapors, but we're also looking for um the 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 liquid protection as well uh and then of course we have the coveralls the long underwear the outer gloves that are chemical resistant the inner gloves that are chemical resistant uh the boots the chemical resistant steel toe shank right the the those are what, what did we call them what the hell were they called what did we call the, the boots? grave digger the, boots yeah the tinglies there we go oh yeah tinglies yeah yeah tinglies all right uh and then a hard hat underneath which Sometimes people put them on, sometimes they don't. Yeah. I've seen, you know what? I, and there's an argument to be made on both sides of that. There's also, I mean, this is probably a subject for another day because I've heard this rumor a lot is that um, confined space and hazmat don't need pass alarms built in. They don't. That is actually, uh, that is actually a hundred. I can, I can absolutely verify that. Um, so what ends up happening with the, uh, so, Yes, the pass alarm is only required in NFPA for firefighting. Yes. It meets the firefighting standing. As far as anything else, the SCBA is not required to have a pass alarm on it. But here's the crazy part with that. You cannot take an NFPA certified mask with the pass alarm and disable the pass alarm. Right, you're not allowed to stop it. You can't stop it. So if it has it, you have to use it. Otherwise, it totally violates the entire standard, and it's not it's not fit for standard. It's not fit for use. But you can take one that is certified without it, and you can use that for hazmat without the pass alarm. 
And now you know. I can't even right. tell you how long this guy in front of me has been waiting to hit the button. <laughs> the number of hours that have gone into that little sound, people. I just want you to appreciate the love that is That's put true. into every, every, uh, anyway. Okay. There'll be more to come with those things. I, I have more going on <laughs> now that I have it fixed. So that is a more you know. Yeah. So, um, Disposable protective suits, gloves, and boots, depending on the suit construction, may be worn over a totally encapsulating suit. Now, that's an interesting thing because the way I read this is that I'm using a level A suit to do my level A job. However, I can wear another suit on top of that to kind of like keep it clean, like maybe like a, a painter's, I, I'm not saying it's painter's, but like another suit to not add more protection, but to keep it cleaner. Right. Well, you saw this a lot in older style level A's where they had the two suits and they had the right. flash protection, which right. really wasn't a flash protection. It was abrasion protection, but that's a whole different ball game. Um, so yeah, there are, and that's what allows us to put the boots on. Notice there's very little in here about what we wear on the inside other than coveralls, long underwear, and the chemical resistant inner glove. So even even the the standards say that you should be wearing uh long underneath. Yeah. Okay, um, so character uh characteristics that make suits uh sorry, let me say that again. Characteristics that make it suitable for high risk hazmat situations. This is when we want to wear a level A, right? So high risk hazmat situations. We often teach right certain specifics for level A's. And we do, unfortunately, narrow down the use of the level A strictly to this, right? We turn around and say, well, it's this. And Bob, what, what is that first thing that we talk about when it comes to level A? <laughs> are you talking about regular instructors or are you talking about like, oh, it's the commodity. It's not the commodity. No, no, not the commodity, not the commodity. Like when you're, when you're evaluating, right? Because we, we always evaluate with uh, chemical physical properties. Right. So, so first, I would say that it has to come find me. Right, has to have a vapor pressure in order to come and contact me. If something is the most badass chemical on the planet and I have to go and touch it, then it's not very worthy of upgrading your PP. It has to come and interact with me. Right. Would you, right? Is that where you're going uh, with that? I, yeah, absolutely. The vapors, the 100%. That's exactly what we generally so, will, will teach. So that's going to be doing two things. Now, one thing has to be a respiratory hazard, which is kind of easy because we wear SCBA for basically everything. So that checks that box just about there. But the second part is it has to interact with my skin. Yes. That's the gay. Yes. And quite often when we look at like we, we unfortunately, when we talk about it being a vapor tight suit, we do quite often miss out on the idea that it is good for liquids as well in a situation where you might need it. Now, again, sprinklers, whatever. I'm sure we could create a scenario where there's liquid everywhere where maybe we're not so concerned about the vapors. We are concerned about the liquids and being in an encapsulated bee isn't going to fit that criteria. So we are, you know, perfectly suited to being able to to run forward in that situation. Um, highlighting scenarios where a level A PPE is a preferred choice. I mean, it is a preferred choice when we are looking at things like ammonia and chlorine but the key here is preferred right it's not a guarantee 
it is just where we start our thought process. It is a preferred choice. Anytime the vapors are going to reach out and touch me, or I'm worried about the water getting into that. Um, and I'd like to touch a little bit because I don't think it's hit enough. And this is where the question later on down the line comes from is the compatibility of level A, right? All of these things, when we see, when we see standards and something is certified NFPA level, level A, it means that it's certified against a chunk of chemicals not all chemicals hmm. not, how would you know not, that not every chemical out there well so if you wanted to know what <laughs> what certifies a level a you could always have us come in and do what bob oh anywho anywho so, <laughs> so learning real quick learning about compatibility right when yeah. we teach compatibility we often will turn around and say okay well we have to check the suit is the suit compatible and yes that's that's one aspect of compatibility but we just listed about four other things that can go in and on the suit all right in the suit i'm not so concerned about but on the suit i am like i need to make sure my boots are compatible with that product i need to make sure my outer gloves are compatible with that product i need to make sure whatever i'm putting on the outside of me is also compatible with that product and i think we can go through level b kind of quickly and then get to the meat of the of the the question yes. because it might be a little we might go a little longer but i think we'll we'll do this so now level b is a little bit different because it has the highest level of respiratory in there, which is the same thing for level A, but it's a lesser level of skin protection is needed. Now, this is one of those like little weird adjective or um, probably the more correcting is a modifier is that people say, oh, it's for splash. Correct. But there's two different types of splashes. There's accidental and is intentional. Right. And if you think you are going to get wet and you're like, no, that's just the way it is, then you seriously have to consider upgrading to level A. Yes. Yep. And we did a whole show about it. Go look up the battery acid incident. I mean, it was way, way, way back. But 100%. And what sometimes people don't think about is the decon process could technically, if you're still a Neanderthal, and you're setting up three pools and you're washing everybody off and you're not doing a hybrid decon or you're not doing a dry decon, uh, then you are not accidentally spraying. <laughs> That's another one. Yes, I set up for a second sound. Uh, you are not accidentally getting yourself wet. You are purposefully getting wet. So there, you know, those types of things have to be evaluated. Uh, components of a level of a level B. Uh, where appropriate, obviously, positive pressure, full face mask, self-contained breathing apparatus, or supplied air with a with bailout bottle. Okay, and then you can go into hooded chemical. So there is a couple of different flavors of level B. There's a hooded, which just kind of comes up like uh, Kenny from South Park. Right. right. And then you have one that looks kind of like a level A. That's an encapsulated one, right? So positive pressure, full face piece, self-contained breathing apparatus, or, um, right, you said that overalls, long sleeve jacket, coveralls, one or two-piece chemical splash suit. Two-piece? Yeah, actually there's pants and uh, like, a, like a rubber slicker kind of thing. Yep. Or disposable chemical resistant overalls. Yeah, then you have your gloves, your inside and outside gloves. You have your boots that you're going to put on. You got your hard hat, which you should be wearing, and you have some kind of a face shield. So there's a couple of other things. Do you think the face shield on the SCBA can be considered a face shield? 
I just thought. What well, you that. mean the lens, the polycarbonate lens thing? Yeah, the polycarbonate lens. Like it would. I have never seen somebody with a separate face shield over the face shield of the RCBI. Not, I think it kind of does the whole thing. I think it does too. I wonder why it's in there. It's in. Uh, you know what? There's a, there's a sub note. I should read that sub note. <laughs> but like, all right. Why would I opt into a level B? Well, I could tell you. Uh, for the most part, in generalities, the vape pressure is lower, right? Because if it had a high vape pressure over 760 based on your SDP or whatever the hell it is, it's going to be a gas, and therefore I'm trending towards a level B, level A because it's more likely to come find me. But anytime it's less than 760, well, that means it is by definition a liquid, and therefore it's more likely to get into level B. Is that a definite? No, if something's 700, it very much wants to evaporate, and so, well, so it might be entertained in a level A land. Does that mean CO2 is a level A entry? No. no. Uh, what I'm saying is just based upon suit selection, one of the things I'm looking at is, is vapor pressure. The lower it is, oh. the more likely it is I'm on a level B, and the higher it is, the more likely I'm on a level A. Assuming the product can hurt you. Right, it has to check yeah, the box yeah. of respiratory, it has to check the box of skin, and it has to be a vapor pressure. Uh, I might be open simplifying, but that would definitely be my rough filtering. Okay, so that leads us to the phone call that I got from the uh, from a couple of guys that we know and have worked with, and they were like, we've got a new guy who just came up with a pretty good scenario. We all put our input in, but we'd like to see what your thoughts are. I said, okay, very good. They said, uh, we have level A's, and we are dealing with a chemical known as chloroform. Mm. I've so heard I've heard it, right? And uh, what, what is your thoughts on chloroform? What would your, what would your PPE selection be for chloroform? Uh, well, I do have a little uh, B-roll of, of this us. being enacted. Yes, yep, this there is, it is us using chloroform in real life, real time. It is uh, a scene from Ace Ventura while he's running around the... Yes, <laughs> indeed. Uh, yeah, so... Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I What is the PP of, of choice? It's probably, well, it's definitely going to start with bunk gear and SCBA. Okay, why? What, I mean, that's pretty standard for how we operate. What's your thought process for SCBA and bunker gear? Because um, you shouldn't be getting off the rig in anything until because if you did, you're parked in the wrong spot. So you should be getting out in bunker and SCBA, approaching it uh, with meters. And when your meters say stop wardrobe change, that's when we're going to change wardrobes. And at that point, depending on what your meters told you, whether it's like a toxic problem or a flammable problem or your research tells you, at that point, like we'll drop a cone and say, here's the line where you can't pass this until you figure out what you're going to wear. Okay, so let's say I'm able to, we have a, a relatively high IP, so we're not going to be able to pick it up on our PID. The vapor pressure is 200 millimeters of mercury. Uh, so it puts off a significant amount of vapors. Yeah. The liquid has a, uh, it can be absorbed through the skin in liquid form, and it can cause burns to the skin in liquid form. It is a definite respiratory, without a doubt. It's at least an, uh, a, a B, SCBA, without a shadow of a doubt. So what would you go for, a level B or a level A? No flammability? No flammability.
Hmm. At least I don't I'd know probably go with B. Why? Because I bet with a little influence, like um, a little Fogline fans or whatever, I'm probably going to get be able to get right up to it and do my work. You know, either by tarping, like literally laying a piece of plastic across it, or absorbing or whatever it might be, I probably could do the job. I'm saying probably because I'm not there and I wasn't there and I'm imagining in my head what's going on, but I would say... The majority of it will be able to be handled with just creative use of environmental controls. Okay. So the new guy chose level A, which you would expect, right? Because he's turning around and he's reading and he's seeing, okay, this is a, a problem on the skin. There's some kind of a skin absorption, skin irritant. And then he came across a very significant issue for responding in chloroform in the level A's that are on their rig. And that is that chloroform has a breakthrough time of 25 minutes. So let's 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 take the assumption that we wanted to go in the direction initially that he did, which, by the way, I do agree with you. I would do a level B as well for the same reasons that you that you stated. But uh, he was on entry. Right. And he wants to do level A. So he gets to do level A. Now he comes across he comes across this problem where his level A breakthrough time is 25 minutes, whereas the encapsulated B has an eight hour breakthrough time. What, what, how can you convince him to go into a level B encapsulated? Do you feel like a level B encapsulated would be warranted? Where is the leak? Is it on the ground or is it above? The leak, the leak is on the ground. It is not like a sprinkler type event. Yeah, because usually, and the reason if you don't know why I'm asking that is because usually if it, the leak is nipples and above, you go in a encapsulated. And if it's nipples and below, you go in a hooded. Um, just because it's, you don't want it going down your, your neck. Um, how would I convince him of that? I don't know. I, you know what? Um, see for, 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 I kind of explained to him what you had said, well, your reasons for going into a level B, but then the question came up, well, what if we have a level A job that is a level A job and we don't have compatibility with that substance, but we do have a level B that is compatible with the substance and encapsulated, how do we proceed? What are we going to do? All right. So my, my cheeky little um, saying, if, if we are trending towards level A's and you know how infrequently we are doing it, you have to hazmat harder, which means you have to put more emphasis and more um, effort into environmental controls. You have to spin that scene around so we can bring it back to level whatever whatever I want. I can bring back the shorts and flip-flops if I do it right. How can you so, do it right? Modify until I cannot possibly modify anymore. And if you can't bring down the level of PP, then it's just what you're going to have to do. But I think the vast majority of decisions can be modified to an acceptable level of risk with just changing the parameters of the scene. Like, oh, well, it's inside. Well, make inside outside. Yeah. I think it's 100% acceptable to drop into a level B when you have a liquid, because it, it really is the liquid that is giving you the problem with right. skin contact, right? And I think you're right. We can blow 
fresh air over our vapor space to push the vapors away. But if I have a level A that has a compatibility of only 25 minutes, a breakthrough time of 25 minutes, and, an, and, a, and a B that has an eight-hour breakthrough time, and my main concern is like, like the liquid, then I am going to go with the level B. That level B encapsulated will provide me more, much more protection than the level A, even though it's quote-unquote a level A. Right. And I mean, I could do a lot of tricks. I can put plastic on it. That stops vapor production. It's right. like putting the cap on, on, a, on a bottle. Right. So that brings it down, which I'm not going to say there's a out there calculation, but I'm going to say if I reduce the amount of vapors I'm in, I'm going to bet the time goes up. And so I, I think... I think people are going to have to, there's a little bit more depth to picking out your PP. A lot of people just do this whole, I did my tech ref or my resource or my research, and therefore I have my PP selection. That is, we've said this dozens of times on dozens of different episodes. You have to think about your mission and what you can do to screw that scene up. And if you can screw it up more to drop it down, but there's going to be some times where you go, well, I can't go any lower than level A. Well, then that's right. one of those rarities. You're going to be going to right. level A. Yeah, and there may be a time like in this type of incidents where the level B is actually the higher level of protection. Even though even though, you know, we we define through OSHA and EPA as to be selected when the greatest level of skin, respiratory and eye protection is required. Well, you know, when you put them all together, the skin protection has more to do with compatibility. So this really is a whole talk about how important compatibility is, how important it is not to just say, well, my suit is a level A, it will it will fit me, uh, it will protect me. So I'm going to go with that because here's a, a prime example, a, a very, very good level A system. And what do we have? A breakthrough time of 25 minutes. And what would be considered, quote unquote, a lesser protection is actually going to provide a greater protection. 